Hey everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers and welcome to the Firecracker Department. I've had a great week and I'll tell you why. Well, actually I won't tell you why, because I have a special guest here for my intro. The one and only Suniva Sneakers. Say hi, Suniva. Hi. Yeah, she's 11, she's my niece, she's from England, and she's the best. Now, I thought it'd be fun since she's visiting me here in California to have her as my intro guest. Just like a little sousson of a guest because we have our regular interviews that are about an hour which you and I will do at some point as well but we did a Facebook live chat yesterday and it was I mean I don't usually swear but it was kick-ass oh she's not you don't like that nobody no um, how has your week been Suniva um, it's been really fun and I'm really enjoying the hot weather in LA she's British that's why she talks like that. And she's just as adorable. Uh, the hot weather. Now, what's your... Like, tell me about some inspirational things that have happened to you this week. Things that you're, like, so excited about either doing again or when you go back home telling your friends about. Um, well, I don't know if it's inspirational, but I've really enjoyed going to the beach because in England, all the you have to wear wetsuits. Mm -hmm. It's just that cold. And even though it is quite cold, you can still wear swimming costumes. Uh, what do you think um, inspirational means? Something that inspires you to yeah. do better. To, to do better, did you say? Yeah, I guess. Interesting. What else? Like, I mean, do you think that going to the beach could be inspirational? I guess. It's almost too fun, right? Yeah. You're like, why it should be harder work or something. But a lot of people go and, like, hang out in nature, and they find that super inspiring. Mm -hmm. And if it gives you energy... Maybe that's inspiring. Yeah, I guess. What do you like about the beach? I like everything about the beach. <laughs> I, I like making sandcastles, mm -hmm. and I like, of course, the actual water. Of course. Um, I like finding rocks and seashells and stuff. Nice. And I'm going to ask you a weird question. How does it make you feel, the beach? I know your <laughs> eyes got really big. But right when, like, it's a different feeling when you're on the beach as opposed to in a car... Um, at school, what's the difference? Calm. Even though it can be noisy sometimes, I really enjoy the sound of the water. Mm -hmm. Which re some people find that really noisy and disturbing, but I'm j it just calms me. Nice. You know what? I think you kind of defined what inspirational means. And a lot of people go to the beach for inspiration. They just like looking out at the water, and as you said, it kind of brings them a calmness. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, this is a bit of a weird question. Usually when I have guests, I ask them what would they tell their younger self as advice for when they're older. But because you're only 11 years old, it feels like you might tell your younger self to be like, don't worry, you're not going to always be in diapers, that kind of stuff. Or, <laughs> or don't worry, um, you'll suck your thumb for a little bit, but it'll pass. So now I'm going to flip the question. What would you tell your older self? Like, what would you say to Suniva when she's 21 or 31? Any advice? Um, I'd probably say something like, carry on working hard, even when it becomes difficult, mm -hmm. because that will really pay off. Oh. Has that happened to you? Have you found yourself, like, if you worked hard, something happened because of it? 
when I work hard in, when I just do homework and stuff, when I was preparing for the SATs, which is like a row of tests, uh-huh. all of the, I could see that my score, all my hard work was paying off in my scores uh-huh. because I did a lot of practice for it. I love that. That's great advice. Thanks, Suniva. Thank you. Anything else you want to tell me about your life? Anything? Mm-hmm. Something you're looking forward to? Oh, I'm looking forward to going to Santa Monica. Oh, it's that beach again. You're addicted. <laughs> I like it. It's not a bad thing to be addicted to. Uh, okay, I'm going to introduce our guest. We have the fantastic Colleen Murray, who is up at the uh, Firecracker Department. Now, Colleen Murray is one of those people that I met and I was like, I want to be her friend because she's just, she's just a vibrant, charismatic, funny lady instinctually and then you you just know that she's got um just a warmth about her i just think she's lovely so when i was in los angeles looking for people to interview i was like i need to talk to colleen murray and uh we had a great chat here in the guest house in um, los Feliz. the tricky part and you may hear a little bit about about this is that the dogs were nuts that day i think she has a very exciting voice and i think the dogs thought she she was constantly wanting to play with them so they were crazy i tried to cut out as much as i could of dogs being whiny or saying hey murphy go lie down go lie down so that's there but it's part of being on location that's the joy and the folks at grace and matthews sebastian is the sebastian uh, he helped edit and make it sound not so crazy and not so many huge gaps where I had to take one of the dogs and put them outside. Anyway, she's fantastic. I know you're going to love her as much as I do. And uh, she's just a, a wealth of knowledge and such a big heart and funny. Oh, so funny. Um, enjoy your listen. Um, yeah, here she is. Colleen Murray. Anybody who's gone through Second City, yeah, they, we all have like okay, we get each other. Yeah, it's almost yeah, like yeah, having yeah. the same parents. Like, yeah, okay, we get. You know, <laughs> it's like my my cousin um, or do, like any cousins that have like par- parents that were siblings. Yes. But, like the other day, I was with my cousin. They're British, and I, I burnt my finger, and he said, "Oh, put it on your ear," and I was like. That's a mom. That that's a thing that only our moms do. Yeah, that's, and I've never maybe heard doesn't of that even before. Make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It yeah. diffuses the. I don't know why he said it, but yeah. Anyway, we are. I my family is no shoes on the table. You cannot if you put a pair of shoes on the table. Oh yeah, freaks out. Bad luck. Bad luck. Yeah. Oh yeah, really bad luck. See, I thought it was no shoes on the bed. Or on the bed. Yeah, no or shoes anywhere. on the bed or on the table. <laughs> yeah. anywhere. And by the way, what the hell are you putting your damn shoes on the table <laughs> right? for? Right? Who puts <laughs> shoes on the table? I mean, what are I, you, monsters? I, I like, I think the other day I put Eddie's, my son's shoes, his little tiny shoes on the table because I was trying to get him up, up off the floor. And I put him on the table and then I turned around and I was like, ah, get the shoes on the table. I the shoes It's okay, I, dude. It's yeah. Okay. But then you go, oh, that's when you put shoes on the table. That's when, when you put shoes on the shoes. table. Right. They weren't like my cloud hoppers for my height. Did but... you have like a very superstitious, <laughs> all muddy. Uh, did you have a superstitious family? Like, do you have folks that. Actually, not at all. Yeah. I would say Are they all no. American? They're all American. Uh, um, no. And I wish they were even. I wish they were more superstitious. I only have one aunt that's kind of superstitious, mm-hmm. which and she's insane and racist and crazy and like crazy. yeah, Great. she you character know. fodder. Right. 
So, very superstitious. And she, this is weird, but right after my, my, she was in the hospital right after my mom passed away. And my mom died in hospice. So, it's kind of like we knew she was dying. It wasn't sudden in that way. But we went to go see my aunt because she wasn't going to be able to come to my mom's funeral. Mm-hmm. She was in the hospital. And while we were there, she said, if you, if you see any pennies in the next few days and the, the Lincoln side is up, the head side is up, that means that's, you know, your mom talking to you. And my dad and I were like, whatever, yeah. you know, you're crazy. She like, she's insane. She, she's the kind of person that would roll around Walmart on a, uh, like a jazzy and like yeah. scream at Muslims. That's <laughs> great. Okay. Great. So we're like, whatever. Oh my God. So we, <laughs> we're going to the funeral in the morning and we get into my dad's minivan, which is like so messy. And there's all these pennies and they're all head side up. And I was like. How can you not? Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. Because I like that stuff. I do too. And I, I almost, since my mom's been gone, every, for a while, I was like praying every night, come to me, come to me, mm-hmm. come sit on my bed. I want to wake up in the middle of the night at three in the morning and you're just sitting on my bed like mm-hmm. a full on specter. Totally. I want to hear you, see you, smell you, all of that. I get it. Nothing. I get it. Nothing. Nothing. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Because I, I want to see it. I want to believe yeah. in it. And people say, like, that's half the battle, that you want it. Yeah. But, like, most things in life. How long ago did she pass away? She died, um, like, two and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So not, like, a long time ago. No, not a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And she she was um, really, really sick for a long time. Yeah. But um, still, you know, even still, you're never really ready for it. Oh, God. You know, my mom has dementia, and she's had it for... Seven years. Seven years? Yeah, like a long time. Holy shit. How old is she? She's young, too. She was, like, she was 67, I think, when she first got no. signs of it. Yeah. But I'm never going to be ready. Like, it's a no. long goodbye. It's a long goodbye. But, I'll, you know, when people talk about dementia as being really tragic, and for sure it is. Yeah. But the good thing about it is she's still around. Like, I can still hug her. Exactly. And I can still be with her, so. Yeah. But I don't think you're ever ready. No, you're not. Did she have cancer, your mom? She did. Well, my mom had, yeah, she had had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma since 1989, but then seven years prior to her dying, she was diagnosed with um, Parkinsonian disease. Oh, wow. So basically... just everything, right? Yeah, and before that, she had ulcerative colitis and almost died when I was little. So she had three major illnesses in her life, and the last one was really... They think that the reason why she had Parkinsonian disease, which isn't Parkinson's, it's like some version of that. Yeah. Is because of all the treatments, all right. the radiation and chemotherapy. It just destroys your body. Yeah, but that's a lot to deal with. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, are you an only child? No, or? I have two brothers. Yeah. I have an older brother and a younger brother. But still, seeing yeah. your mom like that. Oh, it was, yeah, it's really hard. It was, it definitely shaped my, yeah, changes point you. of view. Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> right? And in for comedy. For good or bad, yeah. Like, here's the thing. When yeah. stuff like that happens to <laughs> folks like us that are comedians, you're yeah. like, where do I place that? Yeah. And how, like... Do you know where you place it? Like, do you don't mind yeah. this dog that is the size of a house? I love yeah. this dog. He is a real pony. Yeah. He was Shetland pony. You know, I, I, I had a therapist once say to me, your success in life in general will be your ability to integrate your experience. Because it happened yeah. to me, like, as a kid, I only kind of knew my mom as a sick person, right. as a almost tragically ill, often thinking she was going to die. And so the role of mother and daughter kind of so went away blurry. early on. Yeah. yeah. Very blurry and like definitely became her mother at some point way too young. And mm-hmm. But 
I, how old were you when she first started, like when you knew she was ill? My mom got really, really sick when I was in third grade. Um, she got ulcerative colitis and she nearly died. They didn't know what was wrong with her. They just thought she had AIDS, actually. They thought wow. she had lupus. They thought she had all these problems. But then finally they discovered what it was. But it took about a year and a half and she got down to like 70 pounds. Oh, my God. She, yeah. A really crazy time. Oh, you thought she had AIDS? Everybody did. Yeah. yeah, they didn't know what it was, and then finally they, oh, it's this ulcerative colitis thing. Take out her intestines. She's fine. She's her life is saved. But in that process, they she thought she was going to die, so she told me like she brought us all each in separately, told oh us goodbye, God. told us to tell our dad to marry another woman so we could have a mom, like all that. Then grade, later, grade three, grade three. Wow. Yeah. So five years later, then she gets diagnosed with cancer, and I don't like. Here's the weird thing about that. My remembrance of knowing she, of finding out she had cancer was sitting on my friend's, I was in my friend's bathroom and we were like curling each other's hair and putting on makeup or something. Yeah. And my other friend to me said, I'm so sorry your mom has cancer. And I was like, what? And when I think about that memory, I think, well, why did... you blocked it out? Right. Yeah. Like, why did that happen? And I think it's because I literally like... And then I, I I think I sort of thought, well, if nobody knows, then it won't be true. Right. And then when somebody else knew it, I was like, oh, okay, and it's happening. Yeah. So, but that that's just the experience I've had in life. Yeah. Where, you know, it's... You don't know any different. I don't know any different. So but, I think that's how it kind of shows up for me. Like, it winds into every kind of thing I do or think because it's my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> my adulthood, too. But do you think that you <laughs> went into... <laughs> Bless you. Sorry. Do you think you went into comedy because of that oh, kind sure. of tragedy? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think yeah, so. balance some shit out there. So. Holy cow. Yeah, and also I, I firmly believe this, and I believe this now more than ever, that there is this, if you haven't gone through something like that, you don't realize how many moments there are to actually laugh throughout something terrible. Yeah. And that you almost have to. Like, you can't... I couldn't have chosen... Maybe I could have, but it would have been much harder to choose to be really sad and miserable my whole life yeah. because that was constantly going on. Yeah. Like at some point you have to just be like, that's going on and I also want to live my life. And, yeah. You know, so I think for sure it was like a relief and a reprieve to go and laugh and like do my stuff. But I also think it was a lesson that strangely enough, even in like this situation of dying, when people are dying, there are moments where... You can be really happy mm-hmm. and joyful, mm-hmm. and things are really funny. Yeah. People do really weird shit. Agreed, totally. I mean, the weirdest shit people do. So embarrassing. Yeah. People are so embarrassing. What do you remember from your mom? Was your mom funny? My mom was funny. Yeah. She was dry funny. Yeah. She wouldn't say anything for a long time, and then she'd say something, and we'd be like, oh my God, it's the funniest thing anyone's yeah. ever said. Yeah. Just like the way people would act if they would come to visit her, like what they would say or what they would do or what they would bring or... So then did you find yourself through high school and college going into drama and then finding Second City or how did you... How was that path? Oh, I always was doing like comedies and stuff. When I was a kid, little, I was like total geek. All I did was from the age of like seventh grade or something like that on. Yeah. My life was like plays, doing musicals, doing like weird choir yeah. things, going to pom camp. I was a dance, you know, like a pom pom dancer and yeah, cheerleader. I was a cheerleader for two years, and then I was a like um, a dancer. Oh, okay, in high school, All right. where you know you have like you do like street dances and stupid shit yes. like that. I, yes, and that's what I did on the yeah. weekends. Like I just was in my friend's basement making stuff up. Love and, it. 
writing little shows and doing funny things, like, total geek. Did not get in trouble at all. Yeah. And then when I was in high school, or I mean college, um, I didn't pursue theater. I regret that. Actually, I wish I would have. But I ended up, um, like, dropping out of, like, a lot of the things I wished I could do. I just dropped out of them because I didn't have the courage. Right. And now, what do you mean, like, like dropping out of like I was stuff? Yeah, enrolled in like a um, choir class or something like that, and I dropped right out of yeah. it. Yeah. And what happens? Like, it's such a know. weird thing. Like, where does our confidence get shooken? Shooken, shaken. It, yeah. Yeah. I I think for me, when I went to college, I realized how many people had normal lives. Right. And I didn't, and I didn't have the same kind of support, and I. I don't know. I was around kids who had like normal families and they had more money and like cars and their shit was, I had needed to get a job right away and yeah. then become a resident in the state that I went to school and so I could get tuition that was lower. I was paying for college. Like, right. I don't know. I just kind of lost all my confidence suddenly. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. It took me a while to get it again. Yeah. But then I did and I started doing creative things and I was in a band and uh, so you were creating. I love. I love when you see like the echoes of a producer as a child. Yeah. Like you were a writer and a producer even as a kid in your basement. Yeah. And then, um, do you remember finding out about Second City, or was that like your your pinnacle of like I want to do Second City? No, I didn't really know about it. I I mean no, I didn't know about it until I moved back to Chicago after college, and my friends who I'd grown up with, already had an apartment. They were like, you can live with us. And I was like, great. And yeah. right for my birthday, they got me classes to improv a little Oh, fun. Yeah. And so then they were like, they were like you'll be great at this. You should do this. And so but it I wasn't really on your... No. Mm-mm, oh, no. wow. I didn't um, even know really anything about it. And then once you started classes the second... Because like, you were thinking drama and theater before that, like serious acting? No. I wouldn't say that. I, I had always done like um, musicals and stuff like light stuff. Yeah. Let's call it a light, light, yeah. light drama. I love it. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I graduated college with a marketing and merchandising degree for the apparel industry. Right. I was going to be a buyer. Right. And like be a retail buyer for shoes. That's what I wanted to do. Now, where did you get that inspiration? Um, you know, I had always been interested in fashion and my mom was like a... Uh, an, an amazing seamstress yeah. and she made every single thing I ever I wore too yeah, yeah. it's like olden days it's olden days yeah. I was just gonna say nobody does that anymore no and my mom really could do anything I mean yeah. she could she made people's wedding dresses she wow. made all my prom dresses she could smock she could sew uh, crochet knit any kind of handiwork, she could do it. Yeah. She was really, really talented. So did you take that talent as well? I could, can you I'm it? not good at all. But you can do shoes. Uh, yeah, I can yeah. do my, my talent or my interest more wasn't in the execution of it. Like, she was a great, like, tailor, mm-hmm. sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, she could actually d- impeccably make something. I, I am not so great at the construction part of it, but I liked the... I like kind of pulling everything together and having an idea and seeing the idea come to life. I yeah. don't necessarily have to be the one to make it. Yeah. So uh, I like having beauty and design in every part of my life. So yeah. I like it in clothing. I like it in interiors. Love it. I'm really, I love putting together homes, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that that's, that's just like outlets yeah. for creativity, right? I love exactly. That. Exactly. Yeah. So that's sort of what I was going for. And then... I found out that what that job looks like as an assistant buyer means you sit in a little cubicle in a dark room and you crunch numbers. That's yeah. really it. You're not like 
wheeling and dealing with Anna Wintour and going to like yeah. Bergdorf's and yeah. getting a spring line together. Right. You know, so then I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. So had you gone through school for that and then discovered that mm-hmm. and gone, oh no, this is a... Yes. Yeah. That like, must have shooken. Again, is it shooken or shaken? Shaken. Yeah. yeah. It must have shaken your foundation. I, I think probably I never really, that was not really what I, I didn't really... It wasn't the only thing I wanted to do, so yeah. it was okay for. And I, I, I think also I have this kind of weird feeling that I don't know that everyone does, and certainly no one's parents ever do for their kids. But I, I don't believe that you're supposed to know what you want to do in college. No, I, I yeah, I think I think they ask you too early. Yeah, I do too. Like when I was um, like seventeen, like what is your yeah. goal? And I'm like, I don't even know. What do you? I'm still exploring my yeah. possibilities and. And I always say, I don't even know what jobs there are. Yeah. Every single job I've had as an adult, I didn't know existed until I had it. Like what? Like, so my first job, when I moved to Chicago, I bartended and, and waited tables for a while. And then I got a job in commercial real estate. What? Yeah. What? So that I worked in commercial like real estate for seven years. Like a baby when you were doing that. Yeah, I was like 24. That seems really young to be doing commercial real estate. Well, I, mean, I started as an assistant. Yeah. And I worked in, um, like, I worked downtown Chicago at 10 and 30 South Walker wow. at the Mercantile Exchange as someone's assistant. And then eventually I learned the business. I got my own salesperson's license. I was my own, like, I did leasing of office space. Yeah. But I never knew that was a job. No. Nope. <laughs> no. Why would you? Why would you know that? Yeah. I would drive, you know, I came downtown to Chicago a lot growing up. My mom would, dad would take us downtown for whatever, a game or go see a show or go ice skating or something like that. And I knew, like, I knew the Sears Tower. I knew there were big, big yeah. buildings, but I did not know it was someone's job to make sure companies get into those buildings. Right. I didn't know that. I knew people sold homes, but I didn't know about, you know, this other world. And I ended up doing yeah. that for... Seven years while I was pursuing oh my God. improv at night and learning and taking classes and then performing and getting an agent and all that stuff. I did that at the same time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so when was the moment that you were like, goodbye, commercial yeah. real estate life, hello, actual dream? Yeah. I, this was definitely manufactured by the universe. I don't think I would have ever quit. Oh, right. No, because yeah. I was... Um, I think around 30, and my company was unsolicitedly bought. It was just bought. Yeah. No one knew about it. It was just came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden we were bought. And it kind of like threw me for a loop. I was really upset when I found out I was losing my job. I was getting laid off. Um, and But strangely, right before that, Second City had called and said, um, we have this like BizCo division. Yeah. And we don't have a lot of people who have business experience. We have a lot of really great actors and really funny improvisers. We don't have many people who who have real-time experience in the business world. Mm-hmm. And not only did I have that, but I was also performing. I had just gone to, to the HBO Comedy Festival in Aspen. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, they were like, so could you come in and like, we're going to interview and audition you to yeah. see if you would like work for this part of our company. And I said, sure. And so I did. I went in and I auditioned and... And they said, okay, great, we'll, we'll work with you. But you know what it's like. They don't, that doesn't mean you have a job job. No. It just means when they have something come up, then they'll ask you to be part of it. You never know. So you never know. So I, I, they say, okay, you're hired. And I'm thinking, well, I'll just take some days off. And when they offer me something, I'll just take some vacations. Yeah. And then like a month later, I find out I'm getting laid off. 
So then I tell Second City, okay, I'm getting laid off. Can you use me a little bit more? And they said, sure, we'll, we'll try to get you in a little bit more. And then the process of my company being sold into pieces, which is what happened. Blackstone bought the portfolio that I worked for and nationally and broke it up into pieces. And that took about 10, it took about 10 or 11 months to do that sale. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, a couple things happen. You can't, as a current person working in the company in real estate, you can't do anything. You can't do any transactions when the sale is pending. Right. So right, I literally right, right. did nothing. Like I couldn't do that much. Right. So all we could do is get ready for the next people to buy it, but we weren't doing a lot of deals. Right. So I wasn't really busy at work. Kind so of I was perfect like, timing. Oh, yeah. showing up at ten. Oh my god. Wonderful. So then, anytime a, a gig did come up for Second City, then I was like, "See ya." And my boss was like, "I'm peace. Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm yeah. not even working either." <laughs> so I had ten or eleven months where I, I think it was eleven months. Where I was still making a salary oh and doing second city and figuring out, do I like this enough? And deciding, do I go and interview with the next company that's buying my set of buildings? Like, do I really want to leave or do I want to stay? Like, here's my yeah. fork in the road. Do I want to yeah. go there? And of course, I did like all these fun gigs with these great people. And yeah. It was like in Orlando. So and like, <laughs> some, Living the dream. Yeah. Like yeah. a lazy river on a Tuesday afternoon. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to oh do. Oh my God. That's so funny. So by the time it was like the choice to interview with the next company came up, I just said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm done with this career and I'm going to move forward and try to freelance and be an actor and see what that is. Yeah. And so then in August of 2007, that was my last month of work and then I really never looked back and did you ever have that feeling of like free fall like oh what have I done not really because I started working a lot yeah that's amazing yeah Uh, I love the moment when somebody takes that leap like yeah like we have all friends that have those Joe jobs and then they're like goodbye Joe job yeah it works like it's you're embraced because you're in a lazy river yeah Yeah. it didn't really feel like a risk for me I mean when I look back at that time I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married. Right. I didn't own a home. And because my company went from being a, a, a public company to a private company. Right. So that's what happened. We were a publicly traded company. We were the largest real estate investment trust traded in the United States and bought by a private company. Right. Everybody's stock had to be like given to them. Right. It, it like came to call. And so suddenly I got more money than I'd ever had in my life. Oh my gosh. You I got a severance like package. I got all this stuff ever. that I wouldn't have had if normally because it would take a long time to vest. Yeah. It all had to immediately vest. So I was given kind of this parachute. And so I didn't, it, it didn't feel that risky. Yeah. And were you still performing at the time at yes. like IO as well? I was performing at IO, the annoyance. And then at Second City, I was understudying the main stage. And then I did a couple of musicals there as well. Yeah. Over that so you kind of like blended performing with marketing which is like your two passions mm-hmm. at some point but did it ever like like did you ever not do marketing or did you ever just say I want to just be performing or you kind of always juggled both oh during those seven years yeah yeah I always had a job in commercial real estate sales I was in sales no sorry did afterwards you? yeah uh no yeah then it was just performing in disco yeah I never went back to sales I never did I never renewed my license yeah. I thought I might yeah but I never did Never had to go back that way. Yeah. Mm-mm, that's no. pretty, that's a pretty amazing thing. It's amazing. Yeah. I never had to go back to working Monday through Friday from eight in the morning till How six or seven. How did you do that? Okay. So what I am interested in is mm-hmm. when you started um, creating, cause I looked at some of your stuff, like mm-hmm. the, 
like the shark. Oh yeah, like, like that video. Yeah. So did you suddenly go? Okay, Noah. Now I need to do more than just perform and do the classes that you were teaching and stuff. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I was once I had more time. Yeah. You know, and um, I had while I was still working at my day job, I did a show with four other, or it was four of us and four women, and we went to the HBO Comedy Festival. Yeah. Who was that? Tell me about that. That experience. was a group called Ragdolls, and it was a show called Moist. And we went there, and and that so that was right before I left my job, and that kind of was, I was doing other stuff like that around town, but that yeah. really, kind of made me think I need to you know now that I have all this time, yeah. Everybody else I knew that was an improviser, they didn't work like I worked. No, nobody else was working from eight in the morning till six or seven or eight at night, Monday through Friday, and then sometimes on the weekends. That's, that was my yeah, schedule. that's intense. And then I had to do a lot of stuff with clients and have events and go to like take people to Lake Geneva and you know on trips he, ski trips and stuff like I did a lot of you were like entertaining and moonlighting yeah in I was like moonlighting the, <laughs> in the earliest way I really was I really was and so I was like never at home I never was at my apartment I was either at work or at some theater doing something performing so then I thought well everyone else no one else works like this and they all do you know they all get to make like their own shows and their own pilots and stuff like that so I'll just do that so yeah. then that's when I I uh, wrote a pilot with Robin Scott and we yeah. filmed that and then the video was that the Rick and Len stuff no, no that, that was a thing Lisa. called Darcy and Tess yes mm-hmm. oh yeah it's really so fun I saw that the website for that yeah and um, and I, it feels like you did that before most people were pitching their own yes. stuff like you kind of went no like this has to be a something yeah we did and we made a 22 minute version of it which Amazing. now I think people tell you not to do and right they say do like a test version of it that's like a yeah. short version a sizzle reel more of a sizzle like reel but mm-hmm. we didn't we just like did the whole thing and and the idea was that we would want to we wanted to play lots of different characters and we each played four characters and we paid for it all ourselves so we filmed it we produced it all ourselves that's amazing yeah we had we found this really cool place in um, Indiana and we needed all these props and we didn't, we didn't even have a space to film it till like the day before. Yeah. We found yeah. it. It just so happened to be this weird furniture store that had every single thing we needed. We put it in a couple festivals. Um, and we got hard, feedback that stuff, and stuff yeah. but I think the idea was like, it's hard for, you know, networks to, pick up an idea that that doesn't have stars in it that sure. you know has a lot of different ideas in it but we always got feedback that it was really funny and fun and different but mm-hmm. we didn't get too far in the process of trying to sell it or anything like that mm-hmm. um i think i know a lot more about that stuff now sure. than i did then i wasn't living in la i didn't just didn't really know and i yeah. think it was a little bit of a different time um but yeah it was cool. We learned a lot, and it yeah. was fun. And... So then did you take that... Like, when did you move to L.A.? Was that around the same time? Like, it feels like you did that, and you had a couple of different um, online shorts that you did, uh-huh. and then you went to L.A.? Yeah. Is that how it worked? I, and also shot a music video right before we left. Was that the shark? That one? was a shark. That was yeah. very funny. Yeah, it was really But fun. also one of the best produced thing I've ever seen. I know. It was... that, tell me it took you five months. Like It, it looked, did take about five months. It looked so... Detail like yeah. the costumes and mm-hmm. the locations yeah. and the props alone. I made my head explode a little bit. Yes, I did. I worked with uh, Mary and I and Jeff Haddock from Second City. Yeah, and Dina Fackless, who's um, part of Virgin Daiquiri. Who 
uh, Virgin Daiquiri is an improv is an improv team of all women that Dina started in Chicago, and she wanted to do a comedy album. Great. So the way that that video started was that she said, "I'm going to do a comedy album about women's issues." And then she said to me one day, can you write a rap about having your period? And I was like, sure. Because when I was in college, <laughs> I was in a rap group. Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. Called the game players. And we all, all we did was rap about like food and, and 40s and blunts and pickles and eating lunch <laughs> and really stupid shit like that. Yeah. So she said, can you write a uh, rap video about your, or yeah, can you write a rap about your period? And I love to rap. And so I was like, yes. And so I wrote that really quickly. And then we decided from that album that that song kind of was a good song to make a video from. Yeah. And then so, yeah. So we but come on the costumes. Like I did all the costumes. All the shark costumes. Uh, my friend Leslie made all those costumes. Those are incredible. We bought the like thing, silver. the silver outfits, and then she made the heads. Leslie and Kate Jacobson made, made the heads. Incredible. Yeah, totally incredible. And. Like, the scene in the bedroom when we first wake up under the covers, mm-hmm. that was my guest room. I painted yeah. the walls. You painted the walls? Yeah, I painted one wall gray, one wall pink or lavender or something, and then we bought the fabric to make a uh, a comforter that looked like one side was Mary's, one side was mine. We went to Goodwill, did all... I did all the set design and all of the costuming wow. and worked with, you know... Jeff you have a real gift for that. Yeah, I loved doing yeah, it. Yeah, you can I tell. loved doing it. Loved it. Yeah. Loved doing it. But it was a lot of work, and um, after I did that, I haven't done anything to that scale again. But right. I, I think I'm getting ready to do something again like that. Did it burn you out? Like, was it one of those things you're like, well, I can't do that again because it took it was hard. so much. Yeah. Yeah. The hardest thing was finding a pool. Yeah, you shot at a pool, yeah. for God's sake. And you have to, in a music video, you have to have lots of setups, lots of locations. That wasn't so bad. You know, we were able to do sure. that. But finding the pool took a really long time. And yeah. Liz Howard at Second City finally let us shoot at her parents' pool. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, we, we were able to do that. And then Carissa Barreca was part of a dance team. And so she did all the... Everybody just came yeah. together. I mean, it was I a know. great group effort. That is, like, yeah. the, one of the things of, like, community building or, like, I know. the Second City world. Yes. Where, like, can you do this? And be like, yes, I can do that. Like, yes. it's a lot of people saying yes, of course. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, you should definitely do something like that again. It's yeah. amazing. So now now that you're in um, Los Angeles, yeah. what kind of, like, you have a baby, so that's, like, full yeah. on. <laughs> that's, like, your project yeah. du jour, right? Yeah, right, right, All right. All the time. Um, but what do you have, like, do you have goals of things that you want to create here that you were starting to do in Chicago? or? Um, I was, I think my goals about upon coming here were trying to, more focused around getting into the business and understanding that and getting mm-hmm. to, you know, take classes here mm-hmm. and do the reps of auditioning and all that stuff. So I wasn't as focused on creating my own material. Yeah. But I think I've, at this point, I've, I'm turning toward that now. Yeah. that That's really where I need to, um, I think, invest and, like, put my energy toward. Yeah. Do you f- like, I feel like it's sort of our responsibility. Yeah. Do you have that weight? Yes. And do, where do you think that came from? Like, did your, like, growing up, nobody said you have a responsibility to be in your basement and create shows yeah. for yourself to do. It's funny that you say responsibility. I, I don't know if that, I don't know if I feel like it's my responsibility as much as it is my privilege. Right. You know, like, I'm really lucky. We are I, so lucky, you're right. Yeah, yeah I feel like, uh, if anything, what I am... I feel, it, oh, I'm trying to say this. I think about other women I meet 
or other people I meet here in LA and they don't, they can't, they don't write their own stuff. They don't, they can't produce it. They can't get Ooh. coffee to the set. They can't, they don't have those skills. Right. They don't have the skills and they don't have the interest. Right. And so I think what I have learned over these past four years is that not everybody comes to the table with those interests they don't want to do it they don't want to be the one who's sitting in an editing room or they don't want to be the one shopping at goodwill for the the lamp that you need they don't want to be the one writing the words they really just want to be on camera yeah and i i would you know i like doing it all yeah and so it's it's kind of like my privilege and and actually it's not really an option to not create your own stuff anymore yeah you can't just sort of wait around and and hope someone finds you Agreed. you have to put your voice out there and um I think when you can't because you don't have the skills or you don't have the interest, you're really limited. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. I think it is our job. But I, I, do, I, I actually haven't seen it as a privilege. But um, I think you're right that we're really lucky that we have that interest. Yeah. yeah. And we almost have that conditioning and we come from that culture because we come from Second City and, mm -hmm. and improv and comedy background where... You know, essentially, when you improvise, you're standing on stage and you're making up the words. Yeah. Out, you know, what was shocking to me right away out here was like, you can't do that when you go into an audition. You have to say the words yeah. you're written. What's that and about? I was like, oh, you can't, you can't change the last line. And they're like, not unless we say that. That's kind of rude to the people who wrote the words. I think I, like, I can make it better. Oh, Don't you okay. worry. I'm so used to doing both things at the same time. Yeah. That. It's great to be able to specialize and just get really good at saying somebody else's words, which is what you do when you're an actor. But because I had been improvising for so long, you know, that it just occurred to me, like, oh, I have more than one skill. Yeah. So not everybody does. No, no. How, how and do you think you picked that up at Second City? How was your time at Second City? Um, it was good. I mean, I learned a lot there. I learned a lot at the Annoyance, and I learned a lot at Improv Olympic. Mm -hmm. You know, each place gave me a different point of view, and... A different experience and, yeah and it shares a lot of the same philosophy a lot of the same people yeah and I enjoyed being able to work at all three places yeah that's a, a great thing about Chicago right that yeah. you can dance from all yeah. those different mindsets too. yes and they're so vastly different they're very different and yet they're very intertwined most people do all of them yeah yeah how how do you find uh, the world of marketing improv teaching if that's what it's oh called. you mean uh, doing the corporate service yeah. work how do you find that world I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's a, a valuable technique yeah. to share with people, uh, you know, outside of yeah, the theatrical totally. world. I think it's uh, it's a great way to make a living. Mm -hmm. It's been a great way to make a living yeah. for the last, I think I've done it for eight years. Um, it's this the Second City biz code, corporate arm, whatever, Second City Works has grown a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like for me personally, I've gotten to do a lot of different things and it's moved to more of a consultative um, approach. Mm -hmm. So as a lead designer and a facilitator, I'm doing more consulting, getting to know companies a little bit more, getting to know more about their company yeah. and like designing certain things for them and going deeper with some companies so that you're engaging with them more than once a year. Maybe it's yeah. over, you know several times a quarter or something like that. I That's interesting to me. Um, I think it's refreshing sometimes to get out of the acting world and talk to people who don't have totally. any kind of creative ambition. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, what I want to do is make a lot of money and have a Range Rover and a house and some kids. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that seems simple. Yeah, yeah, that seems so simple. And yeah. there's not like, you don't feel that competitive energy. And yet people right. are professional and kind. It's a good reminder that 
you know, the jobby job or the, the boring basic world of having a job, people, there's really funny, interesting people in that totally. too. They're not all stick in the mud assholes. No. And we're so lucky that we get to <clears throat> remind them yeah. about their funny bones. Like, I love that. I know. I remember doing like a debrief with a group of people once and I said like, what's something you're taking away from our time together? And somebody said, um, and she got a bit teary about yeah. it. And she said, I used to be the funny one at work. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's hurts my heart. But also I'm so glad you, you, you were, you recognize that that's something that you like. Like mm-hmm. it's the, also seems like something in the corporate world. Like you can't be, don't be too funny or don't be too crazy. They have like their mind on the goal constantly that they kind of lose sight of playing. And yeah. I think we get to do that, which is amazing. Yeah, it, it is amazing. It's, it's great. And it's not every day. It's never the no, same. No. Which is really speaks to my kind of weird brain. Yeah. I don't like things to be the same. I, yeah. I like the unexpected nature of it. Yeah. I like that it's not day in, day out, and it's um, usually going somewhere, you know, and getting yeah. away and coming back. And so, yeah. I, I, you seem I like you spin it. a lot of plates. Yeah. Like a lot of creative plates, like, but you, you actually could be fantastic in so many different aspects. I have done a lot of different things. What's the next thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think there. I've always felt like there's a lot that I could do. Yeah. Um, Which is sometimes a curse. It is. I don't know that I always love that Mm -hmm. because I don't feel like some actors are like I literally can't do anything else. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, oh, I could have been a easily could have gone farther with real estate. I easily could have been a financial planner because I love finances. I love getting people interested wow. in investing for retirement. I love yeah. talking about that since I was 18. Oh my God. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. I could easily have gone back and, and gotten into interior design, made that my life. Yeah. So I, it's sort of sometimes really good and sometimes really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think when you only are an actor, you have to commit to that in a way that I've never had to. Yeah. I don't think I could just do that, though. I know. I feel like the other things feed that. I agree. Like I think because we learned yes and. Right. And I know this is so really cheesy. Really screwed us up. It's so cheesy and it really fucked with me. No, I'm I'm with you. I think. But that... I was like, yeah, and I can do that, and I can do that, and I can do this, and we can do that, and we do that. Like so, I'm never thinking I can only be one thing. Yeah. I'm always thinking I could be and do millions of different things, and I don't really want to be doing the same thing in ten no. years from now. Is there something that you'd love to do that you haven't done yet for that, because of that, that confidence thing that you dropped out of groups in, in your high school days? Oh, um, I, I, I mean, there's lots I'd like to do here in terms of the business. Mm-hmm. Like I'd love to, I love a multi-camera sitcom. That's my mm-hmm. favorite. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know a Is lot there of people a show think right it's now cheesy. You're like, I want to be on that. Um, I, I don't think there's a show that I, I think is like perfect for me per se. But anytime I've seen a live taping or um, been able to be part of it in some way or audition for it, I, I'm always like, oh, I love it. It's, it's it so, because it's like, it's like doing a play. Totally. Yeah. It's so much fun. I'd love mm-hmm. that you get your script on Monday and then you perform it on Friday and you do, you know, and there's yeah. a live audience and you go back and reshoot the scene five, six times and could do it differently every time. I love that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's somehow a, a cool combination of everything maybe if I did it I wouldn't like it but I think it's interesting yeah yeah um so is that your next thing is that like I want to focus on that or is that just a plate that you're spinning I don't know I mean I don't really know how to just focus on that. Yeah, I, I, I mean I don't really know how 
the opportunities that get people jobs. I just, I don't know that you can really do much besides just keep being you. And, yeah. And then when the right thing happens, then you match up with it and then there it is. I'm sort of convinced after That's... being here for a while that there's not really much you can do besides yeah. just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> But that's sort of a great, like, that's how it's worked for you. Yeah. Right? Look at all the choices that have not been made for you, but have presented themselves to you. Yeah. And I'm also open to someone being like, no, you should be doing this. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. You know, like, I also don't know what the fuck I'm doing or well, talking honestly, about most of the time. So. Looking at that shark video, I go, oh my God, you have such an eye for detail. And that has to be something that you like, you excel in it. I would not. That's not something that I would ever do. If somebody said, can you do, can you get 10 shark costumes? I'd be like, yeah, but can you do three? And can we just use, can we just use something I got at the dollar store? Yeah, right. And they'd be like, yeah, but it's going to look like, ah, it's good enough. That's why I'm not doing that kind of stuff. Once I start saying it's good enough, I should not be doing it. I always want to pay too much for things. I will have way too much food at a party. I'm very detail oriented. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where's that from? Who who gave you that skill? I do not know. Really? No one in my family. Nobody's like detail oriented. No. Maybe it's the lack of detail that you started. To... Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Who knows? Did I anybody else go into comedy in your family? No. Just you. Just me. And everybody else is like normal person. Corporate people. Yeah. Normal people. I love that. Yeah, they're they're like those people. guys are normal. How <laughs> yeah, are you like the normal, normies? Just normal people. Um, now are you, uh, some, one of the things I like doing in this podcast is talking about what people are inspired by, like yeah. if you're reading a book or if you're, if you're listening to a podcast yeah. or a show, what's the thing on your plate mm. right now that you're inspired by? I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I love your podcast. Oh my God. Um, heard this one called the firecracker department. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like snap judgment, which okay. is a storytelling podcast. It's, um, storytelling with a beat. It, Where did you get this rap thing? I love. Oh, that, I like, love rap music. It's my favorite. Kind I of would music. never have like we don't know each other very well, but yeah. I would never gone. Oh, she loves to rap. I know. No I just would that. never. Yeah. Put that on your plate. I love <laughs> yeah. it. I love that aspect about you. It's my favorite music of all time. Um, I just I grew up you know grew up in the eighties late eighties um, when rap was starting and I I loved it. I just just loved it. Yeah. I don't know why or. I can't really explain why, but I love the beat. I'm always like, I come alive when I hear hip hop music. I love Tribe Called Quest. It's my favorite band of all time. Um, <laughs> right, you're inspired yeah. by it. Yeah, I'm really it. inspired by it. You've yeah, seen I'm Hamilton? really inspired by it. No, I have not seen it. Oh my gosh. I want to so badly. I'm excited for you. I, I'd like to see it at some point, but I'm more excited for you to, <sighs> see, to see it. Me to see it. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, uh, any books? Any, um, any movies that you've seen lately that you're charged I, by? I loved um, Moonlight. Yeah. That was probably my favorite movie I've seen in such a very long time. What do you think you liked about it? What do you think triggered? I think, gosh, oh, it's such a, um, I, I felt like when I was watching the movie that it was not a movie. No one feel oh. like, there was no feel like, this is people, these are people acting. Yeah. There were no like famous stars. Mm -hmm. It was all just real people being very honest and truthful about life and in the circumstance of life mm -hmm. that really can that does change your trajectory yeah. and I just thought the acting was beyond I mean I just have never seen anything like that that's acted that well and is that real and raw and honest mm -hmm. I loved it do you ever want to do drama? I would I I, I, I think I comedians like, can do both right? I do too yeah. my favorite kind of comedy is 
is comedy that's really sad. They come yeah, from like, like a baskets. lot of deep, like baskets. My number one favorite. Love it. Number Fleabag. one favorite. Love it. Yeah. I when I saw the first season of Baskets, I was like, I can't, I don't even. This is everything I want to do I'm right here. You. Yeah, I love it. When Louis Anderson spits out that coke, and, and that episode where they're at the casino. It's so sad and it's oh so dysfunctional. God. I love I love anything that portrays how the realness of dysfunction. Yeah. How it really impacts our lives yeah. and it shapes who we are and it and it holds us down or or lifts us up or can even do that simultaneously. Yeah. Baskets gonna... is like to me is like crabs in a bucket. If you put crabs in an open bucket, none of them will ever get out. Because once one of them gets to the top, the other one's pulling back down. Yeah. That's what Baskets is. And that's yeah. my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah. It's so good. So when good. When Anderson goes so good. for the late night swim. Oh, oh my God. Ah. I know. I know. He it's is so unbelievable. Um, do you want to create something like that? I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. But it, like a three camera sitcom or something. Maybe not for that. <laughs> No. But I like I love Seinfeld. I still, you know, yeah. I mean that that kind of like sitcom mm-hmm. to me is. Um, I know the jokes have to be like a little bit more um, broader, mm-hmm. a little bit more universal. But, but I like it's not necessarily like that comedy better, but I like that format. Right. I love the mix of live, and yeah. like how quickly you have to think and how much you have to change. Yeah. And doing it in front of a live audience, I think that is so cool. It's not necessarily everything I want to do ever. Yeah. But I just love the format. I'd love to try that format. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, cause I think this isn't an easy industry for anybody, mm-hmm. but, um, do you have any advice for like, for ladies in our industry, how to like, mm. how to pursue what they want to be pursuing? Like if you found yourself up against things that you had to go, no, I got to rise up to this challenge. So interesting. I, I feel like if I need advice, more than I can give it. Yeah. Honestly. Oh, no, like, I get it. You know I constantly I mean? like getting advice from people. Like, how would you do this? Yeah. I get it. I, I think if there's anything I've learned is that you, if you don't springboard into a situation where you have representation right away, yeah, there's lots of different ways to get exposure, but it's much harder. Yeah. And you, you're going to have to wait longer than most people you know who have people that are working for them. Or you have to find some way to get in there. And I think the way for us is making our own stuff. Yeah. Which I haven't, you know, because I just had a, a child and everything, I haven't focused as much on. But I, yeah. I think, I think that is like full. the only yeah. way. Right? Yeah. You have to get, if you want to elevate your voice through all the white noise of the internet and, you know, be able to express your point of view, I think you have to do it with no expectation that anyone will care. Right. And you have to do it that in a way that's really truthful to you. So everything I'm thinking about creating right now actually has a lot to do with grief. Yeah. And my experience of it and how it's affected me and, 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 and how it weaves into, I think, everyone's lives, whether they're conscious of it or not. Um, you said something earlier on about how that's your, your role, is to turn your grief into yes. something that is accessible. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so... I think that's a really challenging journey, yes. but important one. I do too, and and I think when you have unique experiences, that that maybe not everybody has, but everybody will go through some version of that. Everyone's going to lose a parent. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to know someone's who's really ill. 
I, I don't know. I think talking about that or expressing it in some way is, it's good artistically because it's your truth, but it's also helpful. It mm-hmm. helps other people when you can say like, this is what happened and here's not, here's what not to say or here's what to do yeah. or, you know, I, I personally believe that when, you know, if you can show up for someone when they're dying, yeah, that as hard as it is, and it is hard, it can be brutal, you will be better for it. Bearing witness to a human being exiting this world is a good thing for you. Mm-hmm. Will bring you something more than you can even know. Were you there when your mom passed away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was holding her hand. It's yeah. a privilege, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there when Matt's, Matt's father passed away as well. It's an, yeah. and, and we were talking about this the other day, Mary and Emily and I were talking about it. And, you know, a lot of people don't get that chance. Their parent or their loved one or whomever dies in a tractor-trailer accident or face down at a diner, and you don't get to say goodbye, and mm-hmm. you don't get to have that chance. And we make such a big deal about people being born, but what about when people leave? Mm-hmm. Why isn't that something that we're conditioned to bear witness to? Mm-hmm. What, what are your instincts of how to turn this grief into something? I don't know. I, I, think, I think I have to keep writing about it. Yeah. I think I have to probably do some storytelling shows about it. I want to. Yeah. And then it's probably got to inform some kind of... I've always thought about doing a short, you know, a short, yeah. a short about how you, perhaps how you recover from grief and how you, maybe the first day you have the courage to leave your house, right. what that first day looks like or what triggers you or any of that. But it's hard to kind of, in a short amount of time, capture it all. So I'll probably have to pick one tiny moment, moment because mm-hmm. they're also, they could be also so deep and so concentrated, your feelings are so mm-hmm saturated was there a pinnacle moment in in your um journey of your mom's passing away that you that inspired you to like think creatively about that I, I yeah my mom you know my mom died as she lived um really truly died as she lived she she went into hospice on a friday i believe and then and then passed away on a wednesday and when she went into hospice she was 70 pounds she had not walked in years. She was on a feeding tube. She And then at that point, she hadn't eaten for a really long time. And then basically, they took her off water. So, right. okay. And so the doctor said, someone in my, you know, someone in her condition will probably die in one to two days. Because you don't have a lot to live off of. Mm-hmm. And she had a stage five bed sore. Um, yeah. That's really rough. She did not die for five days. You, A healthy person can live for about 10 days without food and water. My mom was not healthy. She was tiny. She's like a skeleton and she mm-hmm. lasted for five days. And they all, and I read a lot about hospice and about how at some point the body will kind of shut down. The patient will look, um, peaceful. They'll probably shut their eyes. Nope. My mom never shut her eyes. Right. She was not peaceful. Right. She struggled the whole time. She yeah. did not want to go. But that's how she lived her life. Yeah. She was like a gladiator. I mean, if there was like, you know, a modern day gladiator of someone who was constantly like fighting tigers and dragons and whatever you put in the middle of a, a gladiator ring, that was my mom. Yeah. She was always fighting like an unbelievable fight that would kill most people, but she it did not kill her. She like health-wise? Health-wise, yeah. Was she a fighter like in her community too? Not really. I wouldn't. No, she wasn't overly um, outgoing. Like, right. she, she and I didn't have a very similar personality at all. Yeah. 
<clears throat> she was quiet. She liked to be alone. She liked to read. Um, she, but she was really, really strong. Just yeah. a very strong, strong person who always fought. Fought. Hmm. And, and stayed alive even when we're like, really? I mean, we, we, she would be like in such bad shape and we'd be like, okay, this might be the end. And then the next day you come and see her, the, you know, we would be there with her, like stay overnight and stuff with her. And we'd wake up and then the next day she'd be like, turn on gun smoke. I mean, I'd be like, oh my God, I thought you were dead. And then she'd yeah. be like, turn on gun smoke. I want, I want scrambled eggs or something. And I'd be like, oh God, okay, she's back. I mean, yeah. so she just would never, you never, I mean, and, and like she was so ill and it, I knew she was going to die. I knew that, but still it was a surprise because mm-hmm. she had come back from the dead so many times. She wow. had come back from such, such tough fights. That I swear to God, she was like a gladiator. She would have been... It's a great image. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you you know, we look at people and we say, oh, isn't that nice? These, this woman, like, till she was 95, she's so strong. And I think, no, she's lucky. She's well, not strong. She's genes. lucky. It's yeah, just, it's genes. Yeah. It's luck. The strong people are the ones who have a lot of adversity and they're carrying the weight of the world and they're yeah. still showing up to, you know, their life. That's, yeah, yeah. to me, that's who's strong. Yeah, my grandma lived to be 105. Oh my God, my right. grandma was 101. And and I and I remember actually having the discussion with her of uh. her saying like, "I want to go." Oh yeah. Like she was like she. I'd come home. And I don't blame her. Yeah, 105. It's really long. But she lived by herself what? until she was 95. And then she moved into a home because she was getting tired of walking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember, and I actually lived with her for a short time, and I came home and she'd had, um, she'd been drinking some uh, liquid codeine. Wow. Because she was done. She's like, I'm out. She's like, I'm out. But then, I, and I remember having the discussion of like, well, why do you think you're here? Yeah. Like, there's a reason for it. I think there's a reason that, you know, you still have curiosity that keeps yeah. you charged or, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, she gave me so much. Like, maybe it was what she taught me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. 105, though. I mean, they say that, like, when my son was born, they said his life expectancy is 125. What? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. Because why? of... Why? Because of technology and holy medical advances. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> That's mind-blowing. I, I don't think it would be the opposite now. No. With all the crap in the air. And I know. And, like, we're resistant to antibiotics and everything. Like, yeah. No. Our life... His life expectancy is to be 125. So now, when your son came along, mm-hmm. what? How did that shift everything for you, creatively and as a comedian? I think you know, it, I, I went through some grieving actually being pregnant and not, and having just lost my mom and not being sure how to be a mom and how to like. I was very nervous. I was yeah. very anxious and nervous to to do it. Um, I was really scared and. Uh, so I didn't feel very creative. Right. And this this first year has been so physically like demanding that I have not felt like I could even get my clothes on to go to Target. Yeah. So I haven't been super creative. Although now I'm coming out of it. But I, I like my, I'm joking. But if you look around Target, a lot of people. That's what I'm saying. Barely like. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I fit in. So yeah. That's it's my a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, my son's turning one, but I feel like I'm turning 80. That's right. how I feel, like, physically. But I'm coming out of it. Yeah. But I think what it's done for me is... You're faking it really well. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. I'm totally like... faking it. Yeah. I just because I feel like crap all the time. But um, I think what it's done is it's helped me kind of own, I think, my luck and my essence a little bit. And I've had other people say that to me. Um, 
I'm part of an acting group right now and there's mostly younger women in it and they were all like, you look just like a mom. You are, you are a mom. You're a perfect mom. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> you look just like a mom. I'm like, oh, okay. I need to own it. Like I'm coming into the time I'm where person, I can... I'm not going to be friends. Yeah, no shit. Class. Like I don't look like a, an ingenue. No, bitch. You look like a mom. Um, <laughs> right. And now I'm mom. So like I can own that in a new way, Yeah. which is, which is great. Yeah. And already so many funny things have happened with you know him and he's hilarious and being a mom and just how I think what's funny to me about being a mom is that no matter who I talk to everyone feels like they're failing everyone feels like they're doing it wrong I feel like I'm doing it wrong every single day of my life I don't have kids and I hold my friend's <laughs> baby and I'm like, I'm failing. <laughs> so I'm failing. Short, immediately. Because I pick it up like I feel guilty. I don't know why. And, and then the, the <laughs> Joseph, the dad's like, here, I'll take. I'm like, no, I'm going to get victory over this child. I'm going to get him to laugh and he's going to be like, bestest of friends. So if that's how you feel, like, I mean, I feel like that for a smidgen of times. So yeah. That's hard. But it's good. It's really funny to yeah. me. It's funny to me how um, there are so many things that, you know, your body transforms as a woman. You, I felt very crazy with the hormones. You know, you feel insane. You feel yeah. like super isolated, like on a weird planet. And then you, you, you love your kids so much, but all you want them to do is go to sleep. And then when they're asleep, you want them to wake up. You're just a crazy person. But to me, yeah. I'm like, I, I was already crazy before I got pregnant that I thought any of these crazy things and feelings I have, I'm just going to observe them and like not necessarily attach them attach to them but see them as what they are they're really funny mm-hmm. and they're and they're so healthy too to look at it that way yeah as opposed to fighting going i'm an ingenue right 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 <laughs> it's like you. i never was even before i was pregnant no so me neither <laughs> i mean that's like not even a thing for me yeah but i think because i can see it from that perspective then then it's like oh well there's all the comedy right there's so many funny things that have already happened yeah my son is really really cute and I'm, I'm not saying that just because he's my kid yeah i thought he was gonna be ugly i mean really and i was like why would you think that? i don't know you're adorable I was kind of like a really i was really a fugly looking kid and everyone always thought i was a boy because i looked just like ralph macchio i'm not kidding i looked just like ralph macchio for a long time right and then i had real lot of tons of problems with my teeth my hair grew like a triangle i was very ugly i looked crazy i looked like oh. ralph macchio and a weird boy i mean right. people we went like i remember we went to like buy a minivan or something and the dealer car dealer was like oh you'll need a van with what with the three boys and i had a pink coat on i mean i was very <laughs> yeah i went through a lot of trouble there for a while so i was just like oh i'll have a ugly kid but it's a boy it's okay you know right, right? or it's a girl it's fine yeah. like we're we all go through these periods um but he's really really cute yeah and so it's been really weird to have a very cute baby that when I take him out places, people stop me and tell him how tell me how pretty he oh. is, and they talk about his eyelashes. And now, so now if someone doesn't tell me he's cute, I'm like, don't you think he's cute? What's wrong with you? You don't think he's cute? Everyone thinks he's cute. Yeah. So I see so many opportunities to bring comedy. Even strangers. Even like, strangers. I'm, sorry, I'm like, I couldn't help but notice. Did, did you not? You haven't come. You over haven't to said see anything about my baby yet. He's really cute. Yeah. So I'm exploiting all the years when I was like a little ugly dog that I have this cute kid that it's, you know, I'm definitely using it. Yeah. I love that though. I love the embracing of your essence idea. Like Mm -hmm. I think that's not an easy thing regardless of motherhood. 
ever. Right. Like, you kind of go, oh, no, this is just who I am. This is me. I've always been like this. Yeah. I was like this when I was 14. I was like a, you know, 50-year-old mom and when I was 14 years old. <laughs> this is my jam. Like, I am coming into the time where I can wear a comfortable pant right. and a sensible shoe. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, well, the earlier we can do that, the yeah. better, right? Like, I wish. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe... Like, I think also, like, as kids, as teen, young teens, if we can just look at our parents and be like, that's my body. Yeah. That's who I'm going to yep. be. Stop pretending that's I'm going to be. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to embrace it. Yeah. I'm going to have, re- like, really weird hair that's like my dad's. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, but the good parts, too. Right? The good parts, too. And, and, and if you, you know, I believed this before, and I especially, you can see it when someone passes away, but I believe we're not our bodies. I believe we're more than that. Yeah. And that there are true light and soul and everything is much more important than the shell that we are. Yeah. And that is, you know, I can believe that and know that. But then when you go through the transformation of, you know, making a child and then it comes out and your body looks crazy afterwards and you're still trying to, you know, cut that weight and your boobs look different. And you're yeah. like, you know what I mean? And you're just like, okay, I have to, I have to challenge myself that this yeah. transformation is part of the process and it was a gift. And I, I think the other thing, too, as a woman is it's a very powerful thing to create another person. Yeah. It's so powerful. And yet I have never felt weaker. Yeah. Why is that? I just think physically and, and emotionally yeah. it's demanding in a way. And, uh, but yet I'm coming back now into the power again. And I'm really seeing it differently. Because when I look at my kid, I think I made that. That whatever factory is in here, right. made that. I manufactured your balls. Yeah. I made those. <laughs> I made your balls. Yeah, that might be a t-shirt. But like, on. what the hell? How did I do that? Like, there's yeah. a little, you know, a little abandoned factory. factory in here. I don't know what's going on in there now, but... Gosh. Yeah. If only that could produce, like, films <laughs> in there, exactly. too. Be so great. How about we in a production company now? <laughs> your uh, room production company. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Colleen, I have an idea for something I'd like you to produce <laughs> for me. Sure, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's uh, it is empowering, and if you can yeah. get over obviously like the the fatigue of what the you're sleep dealing with, yeah, but that's that. a lot of ex- adjustments too. Yeah, what's I, and coming to a year, I think is is a good precipice to sort of look back and take stock and inventory and process all of the feelings and the thoughts and uh, you know see see it from different eyes because yeah. it's hard to to get through that first year no matter yeah. what. Um, for some people, it's the first two months, three months, four months, five months. For me, it was like probably I'd say like the first nine or ten months. Yeah, it was really hard. So, yeah. but it's it's a good. I'm in a good place with it now. Yeah, I'm really. I was always really happy I had him. I was always really every day. I felt so lucky I got to have him, wow. and I still feel that way. That's that's a good place to be. Yeah, it, it might is. change. Yeah, we'll see. But see I'm not a good teenagers. I'm not into those. Right. Yeah, but, I'm thinking boarding school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good goal, right, buddy? Yeah. What's your What's your son's name? His name's Eddie. Eddie, fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what a delight it's been just chatting with you. Thank I know. You for Thank coming you. over oh, to this so chaotic dog. I've, I never had such unruly dogs to go through this, but oh, now they're fine. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And that's Colleen Murray. Isn't she the best? I could have actually talked to her all day. She's one of those people that you meet and you just instantly want to be her friend. Because she's just such a bright, funny, vibrant woman. I, I really enjoyed talking with her. I enjoyed talking to her so much that once we had finished and I stopped recording, I started recording again. Because she was talking about her mom and it was such interesting conversations. So there's actually a little 
added bonus right now. So have a listen to the special feature of Colleen Murray. Yeah, so sure. tell me more about your mom. Uh, your mom just, just that she wasn't, my mom's mom wasn't there. And so um, I felt like as a woman, yeah. I wanted another woman to help my mom exit this world. Yeah, also so her woman, mother. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my grandma wasn't there yet. Oh, so disappointing. Yeah, she could have come, but she she was pretty old and was trying to get there and everything. Mm-hmm. She didn't make it in time. Um, but I really, I really wanted, I really feel strongly about how, and, and it's very clear to me now as a mother, because I birthed a child. Mm-hmm. But you're a, a woman, a mother, or some kind of female presence is there when you enter this world, and I think it should be there when you exit the world. That's really interesting. I'd never ever thought about that. Yeah, and and I don't think it has to actually be a woman as much as it needs to. A fat female presence. A like fem- a, a maternal yeah. energy, and that can come from a man, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but the intention of ushering someone, or guiding someone, or helping someone go, whether they know it or not, I think is important. We we do that when we come in. I think we should do that when we go out. Yeah. Do you talk to your mom? I do. Yeah, I, I do. talk to Harvey all the time. Yeah. You do? Yeah. How just, do you talk to him? Like something will come up and I'll just be like, I love you, Harvey. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to put it out there. Yeah. Or something will, like if he strikes my mind, I want to make sure that it reverberates. I don't know, yeah. but I do it. Yeah. So you, so processing it, you kind of go, well, where do I put yeah. the love that I have for him yeah. where I can't like go and give him a hug? Right. And so, you know, pictures and you say things and out you loud. you say it. Yeah. Yeah. You we know, talk about it. When my mom was dying in those um, during those five days, it was in the summer. She died on July twenty uh, third, and this is really weird. But this this did happen. I pulled into the she died in a nursing home. I pulled into the parking lot, and a bunch of butterflies rushed onto my window, mm-hmm. the windshield of my car, and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa! And I just kind of stared at them, and they wouldn't leave. They just sat on my windshield, and I was like, hmm. And, you know, butterfly is a sign of recovery. It's a sign of peace. It's a sign of transformation. Yeah. You start out as a caterpillar, then you're, you know, born into a butterfly. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of connected to the idea that she was going through some, a transformation. She was leaving this life to wow. go to another one. And so they came to my car and I was like, whoa. Throughout those five days, I swear to God, there were butterflies everywhere. I would look out of the window in her room, butterflies on the window. Yeah. I would walk outside to eat something, they'd be on me. Wow. So... <clears throat> Every time I see a butterfly now, I think that's my mom. Yeah. So I just say, hi, mom. Hi, mom. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime, like, I'm with my son or whatever and butterflies come over, I'm like, that's your grandma. Yeah. I think that's lovely, yeah. though. Like, also for your kid to, yeah. like, have her around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. And then the other time I actually did feel her presence was when I was delivering Eddie. And, um, uh... The delivery process was cray, cray, you know, it always, it's, can't. I can't yeah. really imagine. In fact, I don't really want to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well. <laughs> I didn't either. Yeah. But my mom had had really easy deliveries and she, she always talked about that. She said she could have had babies for a living. She had my brother in like 45 minutes, literally. Wow. So she also had an insane threshold for pain, which yeah. we know now. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> hello. But, so I thought I was going to have an easy delivery. Okay. Well, my bag breaks at 2.30 in the morning. We go to the hospital. I get put on Pitocin. I don't end up pushing until ten, oh, until 11.30 at night. So I get on the Pitocin at 6 a.m., get an epidural by 3 p.m., and I'm not ready to push. I'm not 10 centimeters dilated until 11.30 at night. 
And when I got in, the doctor said, in the very morning, the doctor said, if you don't have the baby by the time your bag broke the next day, you know, it broke at 2.30. If you don't have the baby again by 2.30, oh, we have to do a C-section. Because they can't, the yeah. baby can't live without the water. Sure. They ended up having to put more fluid and stuff in, back into the, uh, my uterus while I was in labor because the water ran out. And right. his temperature was going up and down and then the cord was around his neck and all this shit happened. Okay. Oh my God. So anyway. It's like the opposite of a 45 yeah. into a delivery. Hello. So we finally get to the point where we're going to push. And people are like, oh, yeah, when I got to that point, I just, it was like three pushes and he was out. Or it was like eight pushes yeah. and he was out. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> it takes me an hour and a half to get him out. Holy crap. And so at that point, I said, mom, come to me, come to me, sit on my shoulder. Help me, help me, mom, help yeah. me. And, and, and then when I asked for her to come, he came out. <sighs> they tried vacuuming him out. I've never heard of that before. It's this weird little suction cup they put on the baby's head because the baby's head was sticking out for a while and they couldn't get his shoulders through. They tried vacuuming him out. All very uncomfortable. It's very weird. I don't even. I don't even remember the pain of that. Yeah, I was. I had an epidural, but they had turned it down. And so by the time I pushed him out, I mean I was feeling the pain. But in a way, it's good because you you need to feel your muscle so you can push it. Yeah, it's weird. But did you um, like maybe he just didn't want to go? He was just having a good old time in there. He really did not walk him out. Yeah. He did not walk him out. And because he was stuck in there, his shoulder was messed up when he came out. His lip oh. was like... So oh. I couldn't hold him right away. Oh. And I was like, oh, I want to hold him right away. Is he okay? Is he okay? All these doctors were on him. Like, yeah. whatever. They thought he broke his shoulder. He didn't. But when they finally gave him to me, he did not make a sound either. You know how babies come out crying? Yeah. He didn't make any sound. Oh, my so God. we were freaked out. They were like, he's okay. He's okay. He's just stunned. He's, you know, he was in there for a long time. They work on him, and, you know, the doctor's sewing me up and stuff, so it takes a little bit of time. Finally, they gave him to me, and he had not made a sound. He had not opened his eyes, made a sound, nothing. They gave him to me. They put him on my, you know, chest. And like fucking Frankenstein, the dude goes like this. <gasps> and sniffed all the way to my nipple oh, and started breastfeeding. No! Yes. Just like that? Just like that. And there he was, awake. He went... <gasps> Came alive. <laughs> he went started feeding right away. Like a little puppy finding like a, dang like a treat. Old dog. Yep. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Like a little raccoon. Well, that's not always easy. Breastfeeding isn't always easy. No. but that's incredible. It was. It was incredible. He latched on perfectly and started. Oh, man. He said, "I'm on my food. I'm I awake." Really hope you do do something. Do do with uh, <laughs> with the grief world though. I think that's such a powerful. It's mm-hmm. funny because I was talking to Cat about this mm-hmm. and about the the moment we start being truthful to what our voice is that's when it gets the strongest yeah and obviously you've got shit to talk about (laughs) but you're not alone right like as soon as you start talking about it people are going to go i know i did this i know my relative passed away this way so it's it's obviously something that is worthwhile i think so too i'm excited i've always wanted to do it but i haven't been able to express it sometimes it's too close too very i think it was way too close yes so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sort of like, I don't believe that there's a reason for things. I don't believe that. That doesn't help me. Let me right. put it that way. Okay. I know other people believe that and that helps them. What I believe is, you know, our lives happen, things will happen in our lives and then it's our job to make meaning of what's happened. So if there's a reason for something, it's for me, what's more comfortable is to determine what that was yeah. instead of waiting for something omnipotent to tell me what the reason is or... I think that's the same thing, though. Yeah, like the it reason, probably is. The reason is to learn. The reason is to learn, right. exactly. Like I don't, to learn a lesson or to deepen my spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I do have a sense of, like, the the perfection of world. Mm-hmm. Do you have that feeling of, like, when something crappy happens, I'm like, it's got to be perfect. 
Mm. Like, like things are happening because I'm supposed to learn something. Oh yeah, they're lining or, up in the right yeah, way. That you, yeah, like it's sort of a Buddhist thing, but I'm not mm-hmm. a Buddhist. But I do like that theory of like, you know, if you have a disappointment. It's a disappointment because you're supposed to learn something, yeah. it, or you're supposed to do something else at that time, or yeah. So it helps me be peaceful. Yes, that's right. As opposed to anxiety written about, like, oh, that didn't happen or whatever. Right, because I think the anxiety comes, and I'm very, I, I fall into this a lot, but the anxiety comes from pushing back against mm-hmm. it. Like saying, well, that wasn't supposed to happen. That's not what I kind I'm of I'm going to make it happen. happen. Yeah, yeah, that's not yeah. what I, you know. And it's like, well, it did happen. Yeah. I, I think the acceptance of the chaos really of what nature is i mean yeah. okay nature chaos is in nature nature yeah. is chaos right yeah. like so we can do so much and then life is going to do its thing too yeah and and how we live on that how we live on life's terms yeah. basically and and are able to ha- handle and manage the moments that we didn't plan i'm almost I now agree. thinking i don't want to make any plans <laughs> i'm like not into making goals or any plans right now because right. it's almost easier for me to just say I have intention. There's things I want to do, and how it comes out or whether whatever the right. outcome is is what it is. That that just might be easier. I like on, that. That's easier on me. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, but then I feel like my brain, like if I don't make a plan, I'm like, yeah. I'm not accomplishing anything. I don't know. I know. Then I'll never take out the trash. So yeah, I right. actually have to have a, I have a plan. Yeah. If the world speaks to me, like I should take the trash out, then I will. Yeah. But if it doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a, that's a really interesting thing. When people are going through a difficult time and it's not something that you've personally experienced, how do you, how, how can you support that person? Yeah. And I think our instincts are, let me try to fix it. Let me try yeah. to tell you it's okay. Let me, um, let me try to spin it for yeah. you yeah. or let me just sort of ignore it. We don't really know how to say this has happened. I am really, really sorry. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Let's just sit here. I'm just going to sit yes. here with you. Well, you don't know what to say and neither do I. What was the best thing when your mom died that somebody did for you? Hmm. That's a really good question. I don't even know. I, I, I don't know. I can't think of one best thing because there were so many things that people did that was so were so nice. Yeah. yeah. When Harvey died, when Matt's dad died... Know. One thing is we sh- sat Shiva, because oh. they're Jewish, which yeah. is amazing. It's so, is, it's so nice. It's a week of just being like, do what you need to do. Yeah, if you need to cry there. in the middle of dinner, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that was really healing. And also family. Everybody was there. Yeah. Was just like so embraced. And then um, yeah. the other thing, something else I was going to say. Oh, somebody said that like, if you weren't, um, they said if you didn't grieve, uh, you only grieve hard for the people that you love the most. The most, yeah. yeah. So it made me realize how much a part of my heart he was, yeah. that I was so proud of that. So I don't know, that balanced it somehow. Yeah, oh, that's know. a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And also that he knew he was loved, like we were there. Yes. That was really important to me. And Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But it is true. There's a line in um, Lars and the Real Girl. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know the stories about like this, mm-hmm, this the blow up doll, doll yeah. right? But then when then she dies, I think mm-hmm. I can't remember how long ago. And and somebody says, I don't know what to do now. And the person goes, We just sit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Yeah, you just sit. You don't yeah. have to like make excuses. You don't have to like if you want to make tea, you make tea. Whatever goes. But yeah. just sit. Yeah, that's a really um, untapped uh, 
theme, like grief, and that, mm. like, I think with things like baskets and things like I know. Fleabag, like, that's such a great story of how she dealt with her, the grief of her roommate. Yeah. All that stuff. I know, and it's interesting what you're saying about doing. What's, we don't really know how to just sit. We're not really told no. to just sit or just to just be, like, we're not accommodated Society doesn't really accommodate us. I mean, we live in a country where, in the United States, you don't get more than two weeks off of vacation a year. Right. You know, you talk to somebody who's from Europe. Yeah. And they're like, I need eight weeks a year off because I... And I'm like, what? Where are you going to work that gives you that? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we're not really t- taught to just yeah. do nothing but feel your feelings. And pro- the processing piece of it is just... It's really what's missing. And yeah. people get mad. People are like... You need, even when you I need first, to move on. Yeah, yeah, even when I first had Eddie, people were like, you need to go out with your husband, you need to have a date night, and you need to get away from him, you need to get a babysitter, <laughs> and you need to get away, and I, well, watch me, you need to give up, let somebody else watch me, and I'd be like, fuck you. Oh, yeah. All I want to do is sleep. The only thing I want to do right now is go to Target yeah. and wander around like a fucking zombie, <laughs> Yeah. and then I just want to sleep. I do, yeah. actually don't want to go out. I don't want to do that. And if it would have been like six months of that, then yeah. maybe your friend needed to step in and be like, you need to get change out. your underwear. Yeah, yeah. get out. Yeah. Like, I understand that there's that point where somewhere you do need to get up and yeah. get out. But I think we get to that too fast. Yeah. You know, it's like... Because then you're catching up, right? Then you find yeah. yourself on a little target crying over something. You're like, why am I... And then two aisles over, somebody else is crying about something else. You're like, oh, Target. What are you crying about? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen these cards? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, I think it's really an ex- exciting thing to tap into for sure. Well, great. I'll let you know. Yeah. What I'm Do. doing. And then, you know. Now, to get even more of Colleen Murray, go to her website, which is ColleenMurrayPayton.com. And then you can catch all her videos, like the shark video, her work with Robin Scott. All that stuff is on her website, so go check it out. While you're at it, go see our website, FirecrackerDepartment.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter, at FirecrackerDEPT, and of course on Facebook. If you wouldn't mind, it'd be great if you could share and like and subscribe and all those things just to build our department. I'm trying to um, make the website even more of a virtual community by adding um, book suggestions, video game suggestions, movie suggestions, all things that are coming from you guys. So keep the suggestions coming. And uh, we're really building something cool, I think. Thank you so much for listening. Go on out there and get inspired or be inspiring. And we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Thanks, everybody.